Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Bishop just returned from Nigeria, and on this episode, hear how the trip went. His schedule was packed with big liturgies, including two ordination masses. But Nigeria has been in the news recently because of priest kidnappings, and Bishop talks about how local villagers saved his group from a potentially dangerous situation. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our good Bishop. Welcome back from Nigeria. Have you recovered yet? I have. I didn't even have jet lag when I got back. I can't understand that. How about going there? Well, going there was a little tough because Uh our flight got canceled. So we were stuck in Atlanta overnight. So I was a little exhausted by the time, you know, it's one of those things where you're in the airport and they keep delaying it and Uh you're waiting and waiting. And then like 1030 at night, they say canceled. So we had to get a hotel and then I left the next day. So, and it's like 11 and a half hour flight from Atlanta to Lagos. But, you know, I had to also fly from Lagos, a short flight hour-long flight to where I was going, which was the state of Anambra in in southeast Nigeria. So originally we had had kind of a day to schedule just to relax. So that relaxing day when I arrived was, you know, no longer. So I had to get right to it. The day I arrived then was a Saturday instead of a Friday. So everything began really Saturday night and Sunday big confirmation mass. So, so I got right to it, but it was fine. I was kind of excited. So I guess the adrenaline keeps you going. Okay. When did the idea for this trip first come about? When did you first start thinking about it? Well, I was there four years ago and I ordained 23 new priests and deacons when I was there four years ago for the uh, Holy Ghost congregation, Mm -hmm. uh, the Spiritans. So I'd say about a year after that, Bishop Jonas of the Diocese of Oka where we have some priests serving here, mm-hmm. invited me to come and do ordinations there. And Bishop Jonas Benson Okoye had served here in our diocese as a priest for a year and oh, wow. several summers in the tribunal. So he's had this huh. close relationship to the diocese. This was before I was bishop okay. in the diocese. Anyhow, he invited me to come over and do ordinations in the diocese of Oka. But then COVID hit. And, Mm. you know, travel was limited. So it had to be postponed twice. And finally, I was able to go this year. But in the meantime, this past February, Bishop Jonas was named bishop, a diocesan bishop of another diocese, neighboring diocese called Newi. Okay. So then the invitation changed to celebrate ordinations in two dioceses, both Oka (laughs) and Newi, uh-huh. which I did. And that was the primary purpose of my visit to celebrate those two ordinations in which I ordained 26, 25 new priests and one new deacon. So that was the main reason. But when I got there, because I was going to be there 11 days, the schedule expanded. I celebrated three big high school masses, Catholic high schools. I celebrated that first day, that Sunday, a confirmation mass at a parish in the Newi diocese. And then I also celebrated a big parish mass. So every day there were big liturgies. So that was not the original plan, but of course I would celebrate mass every day. Anyhow, there was only one day where it was just a quiet mass in the bishop's chapel. But every other day they were big public masses. So 
I had to do a lot of homilies that week, but of course <laughs> that's fine. I, I, uh, I loved it. And it was a full week, a lot of, you know, traveling in that area, that region. So it's Anambra state in Nigeria. It's in the Southeastern part of Nigeria, which is very Christian. So it was visited a few different dioceses. The metropolitan archdiocese for that area is Onisha. And uh, I did spend a day there. I had been there before because that's where the Spiritans are based. Mm -hmm. And that was where the missionaries from Ireland, the Holy Ghost missionaries, came first and established a, a mission there. And that was really the beginning of the evangelization of that region. That was the late 19th century. They came on the River Niger and settled in Onisha. But then as the years went on, they expanded throughout that region into the country, the Bush country, and set up missions, chapels. And, and now the church is well-established, many dioceses, many parishes and Catholic schools, Catholic hospitals. Really amazing because it was really the late 19th century. And to think that in just about 120 years, the church is so well-established there, very vibrant, many vocations, etc. So I was there uh, with the Archbishop of Onisha, spent, that was one of the days. And then I was in those two dioceses I mentioned, the Diocese of Oka and the Diocese of Newi. And it was in the Diocese of Oka that I stayed overnight throughout the time. And then a new diocese was created just a year or two ago where they split the Diocese of Oka, which had grown so much, and cr created another diocese called Ekulobia. So I was there, and the bishop there, just named a bishop there last year, is, I think last year, is one of the new cardinals that will be elevated to cardinal later in August. So I spent a day there because and it was great meeting him and also a Catholic university that they're beginning there called Peter University. It's been in the works for 10 years and it will open, at least partially open in October. We've provided a little financial support. And so I got to tour hmm. the campus and see all the buildings, and everybody's excited about opening that. And now it's kind of co-sponsored by the Diocese of Oka and the Diocese of Equilobia, because the whole project was in the Diocese of Oka, but then where it's located is in the new diocese. Okay. So anyhow, that was another day. Another day I spent with the Spiritans, so I went back to where I had the ordinations four years ago, and they were very, very kind, and went to the novitiate and spoke with the novices. We had given from our diocese a contribution for their chapel, which needed to be built and, well, really renovated quite a bit. And it's really very beautiful now, and they were so grateful for our gift. And it was neat because I was able to see one of our priests who had served here for 20 years, Father mm. Lawrence Tete, okay. who retired about a year ago. He had been pastor for several years at Our Lady of Hungary in South Bend and at St. Therese in Fort Wayne. So it was wonderful. He he joined me on that day at the he is a spirit and priest. So mm -hmm. and he's in good health and he's doing spiritual direction for the postulants. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, it was it was wonderful to see him. And then really, I mean, that's the week I was okay in those different dioceses and with the Spiritans, and also a day in Lagos, the last day. And before flying out, we had really a full day. And I had never been there, so that was the former capital and 
really large congested city, like 20 million people, it's huge, hmm. was able to visit the cathedral there and a national museum. And that was a nice thing at the end of the trip. What's the language barrier in all of this? Oh, okay. Well, there's probably, I think, I forget if they said it was 300 or 500 languages. Oh, wow. Because of all the different tribes. But the national language is English. Okay. You know, it was a British colony. Mm-hmm. And so children, you know, especially when they start school, start learning English. Okay. The first language is, is their native languages. So the priests that I was with are uh, Igbo tribe. That region is Igbo land. And for example, a year ago when I ordained Father Augustine, Onuaha for our diocese. Yeah. He's now at St. Pius in Granger. He's of the Igbo tribe. He's from that region. Okay. Now, n- most of our priests here serving here from Nigeria are Igbo. A few are, are other tribes, but most are Igbo. Hmm. So language, there was no barrier. I, I would say that maybe some of the elderly people at masses, some may not have known English well. I was conscious of that in preaching and not speaking too fast. Mm -hmm. We think sometimes like, you know, some of our people, when they have a Nigerian priest or a priest from another country, they have to listen more carefully because of the accent. And I think it's the same way the other way. They had to listen more carefully to me. And therefore I, you know, it was important that I speak clearly and, Uh and not, not speak too quick, too fast in my homilies. But the liturgies, there would be I celebrate all the liturgies were in English, though there were parts, times, the readings or music that would be in the Igbo language. Okay. Typically, would masses be bilingual or would they? That's a good question. I, I, I think typically the masses are in English. Okay. I don't want to say that with 100% certainty. I'm not sure if there is an, I, I imagine there must be an Igbo translation, but I, I do know that they would do music and both languages. Another interesting thing that surprised me is everyone knew by heart all the mass parts in Latin. Hmm. Like, you know, some of our people here would know the mass parts. Yeah. I don't know that we have many people who would know the Gloria or the Our Father oh, in yeah. Latin by heart, right? but they do. Huh. So what they do is, and they sing it really strong. So for example, I think every month, one of the weekends, the mass parts are sung and chanted in Latin. Hmm. And yet you also have the indigenous music. So you have instruments like drums and, uh-huh. and other kinds of instruments that are used. So it's a beautiful expression, you know, of the enculturation of the church mm-hmm. using all the, the, the local music, the, the instruments, et cetera. And it's very lively. And at the same time, they have the traditional language of the church. They have Latin. And at the ordination masses that was that I had, that was very evident. You know, they had both the Latin chant, but also the local vernacular and very lively music. Mm-hmm. Everything, as far as the liturgies, I just found so beautiful. Because underneath all of it, besides the spirit of joy was um, a very evident prayerful spirit. I celebrated masses in three Catholic high schools. They are residential schools. One was all boys. 
and two were all girls, probably about 700, 800 students in mm -hmm. each. And they all have daily mass in the morning. Huh. And they were beautiful experiences because I got to really interact a lot with the young people. And their participation at mass was incredible. High school students, it was so beautiful that it really was kind of emotional for me to see their strong faith and how that was expressed in the liturgy. At the end of each of the masses, students got up to, to speak and present me with gifts and they had clearly memorized like my biography yeah. and just said about my life. I'm like, wow. Um, <laughs> it was very humbling. And I had a lot of great interactions with them. It was, and they were so welcoming and so excited. Of course, I was the first American bishop, maybe even the first American priest to really celebrate the liturgy in those places, mm -hmm. not just the high schools, but even in the parishes. Right. So this was very, I mean, they had the Irish immigrants or Irish missionaries years ago, mm -hmm. but I, I didn't see any other white person the whole time I was there. Mm -hmm. And for the children, the, the younger children at the different masses and the parishes and the ordination, they would just stare at me. Uh -huh. And I said, why are they all staring? And they said, well, I haven't seen a white person in person. And yeah. uh, then they'd come up and want to touch my arms. And it was so cute, you know, like just touch me because I guess they could say, well, I just touched some, a, a white bishop. Yeah, it was just a really, really cool, cool experience. What kind of gifts, you mentioned they gave you gifts. What kind of gifts did they oh, give you? Oh, my goodness. It was, first of all, I had so many gifts that Father Francis had to get another large piece of luggage. <laughs> and I filled it with gifts. Because every place I went, they presented gifts. They, uh -huh. they had this wonderful spirit of hospitality and, and expression of gratitude. But even filling up another large suitcase, I had to leave gifts behind, the larger ones. In one place, they gave me a really life-size statue of Our Lady. Oh, wow. That was beautiful. I was Father Francis, who's the pastor at Most Precious Blood in Fort Wayne, he, he came with me. And that yeah. was a great help because by myself— managing some of the chaos in the airports and that would have been very hard. Yeah. He was really wonderful. And it was great that he could see his family and they had a big party while he was there. It was uh -huh. the 90th birthday of his father. So I was able oh, wow. to attend that. But anyhow, he was kind of collecting all these gifts because everywhere I was getting them. But I, mean, I got a spiritual bouquets from some of the high schools. I received artwork that they had drawn, the, mm -hmm. the high school kids had drawn. I received books from priests about the about Africa and mm -hmm. Nigeria and the church there, things that they had written. I received a lot of clothes, including Nigerian outfits. Yeah. Yep. And uh, well, I had made a comment at the boys' high school. They all had these really neat shirts. They all wear the same uniform, and they were like black, but with lions all over them okay and i asked them i said is this your mascot and of course they didn't know what the word mascot meant and i'm right. trying to explain anyhow this was all dialogue <laughs> at the end of mass and but i said well why a lion and then they explained courage and strength and how that's part of their education and it was really neat i said oh wow i'd love to have one of those well i didn't i should have as soon as those words came out uh, of my mouth i knew they would give me one right but they gave me a whole outfit and then even at the other places, at one village, they 
sometimes to honor a dignitary, they make them an honorary chief. So they did that with me. And, and with that comes hmm. this big fan that they fan the priest, the, the chief with and uh -huh. a hat and a garb. So that was all another thing. Uh -huh. Of course, I had no idea what they were doing at that point. Like, what, what is all this? You know, they said, well, you're making, they're making you an honorary chief. Yeah. So there's that stuff, statues. I mean, when I went to Peter university, plaques, you know, wooden artwork crafts hmm. that they had made. So when I got home, all this stuff I'm unpacking yeah, and just spreading it out in one of my rooms. And I'm trying to think like, I'll give some away as gifts. I mean, what am I getting? I'll keep some, but I, I can't yeah. keep it all. Yeah. Were you able to keep the life-size statue of Mary? No, yeah. I was teasing Father Francis about his getting another ticket home and I would use his <laughs> seat for the statue. <laughs> so when you talk about the faith of the people, uh, it sounds like, you're seeing a deeper faith there than here. Is that true? I would say in the culture there, it's not the kind of secularized culture that we have here. So hmm. in that sense, I would say the people's, you know, God is really at the center of their life. I mean, a lot of poor people, a lot of needy people, and they would have that. It reminds me of the beatitude, the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. Mm -hmm. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, they, their reliance and dependence on God is very clear. So I could see that in the, you know, when they pray, you know, it was very intense and very, very real. It's hard to compare because we really can't judge people's hearts, but I would say there's been a true enculturation of the gospel there. Mm -hmm. The church is younger. It's fresh. Vitality is, is evident. And of course, when you look at the church in the West, in Europe, and now more and more in the in North America, kind of a lessening of that zeal. That's why we are working on the new evangelization that, that Pope John Paul spoke about so many years ago. It's still very, very much needed in the Eucharistic revival. We need a revival of the faith. But in a younger church like there in Nigeria, you know, there's always the dangers of secularization and influence of, for example, Western media. So I don't want to discount that there's no influence there, but at this point it doesn't have the upper hand like it does here. And every culture needs to be purified. No culture is perfect. Obviously our U.S. culture is not perfect. Neither is the culture in Nigeria, but the gospel, when we preach and live the gospel that purifies cultures of some of the negative elements that might be there wherever we're talking about. But I, I kind of have such admiration for the Irish missionaries who, who really, when they went to this region, I mean, they did not, they, they didn't go there to destroy the culture. Mm. They respected the language. They respected the culture of the people the good elements of the culture. And I think that's why they were so, one reason why they were so effective. And also it served the good of society there. Mm -hmm. If you look at the presence of the Catholic church there, it's amazing the works of education and healthcare. I mean, amazing. And some of the parishes I went to, they're big churches because a lot of people go to church. They're simple churches, you know, stone and wood. Many have 
big schools, Catholic schools, providing excellent education, including these high schools that I mentioned. But you'd see the primary grade, grade schools as well, a lot. And the Catholic Church is very prominent in education. All the Catholic schools were taken over by the Nigerian government during the Biafran War in the late 60s, and only recently in this state were returned to the church. Hmm. Also, you'll see health clinics at parishes, even in hospitals, Catholic hospitals like all over. So On the same campus? like the Even on the parish. same campus, huh. yeah. Not always, but, but sometimes. Yeah. So the social welfare that the church is there, you know, both the spiritual care, but also these human needs of people— there are other Christians as well. The Anglican Church is significant presence because it was an English colony, so Anglican missionaries came. But they don't have all of these services that the Catholic Church provides, you know, all the schools and hospitals. They might have some, I don't know. And there's some Pentecostals, but I would say the largest Christian group is, is Catholic. Now we're talking south part, the southern part of Nigeria, which is the southern half is very, very Christian. The northern half is is mostly Muslim, and I mean, we might want to talk about the political situation and mm-hmm. the the dangers there. I'd be happy. Uh, that was very evident during my trip. Yeah, why don't we take a break and when we come back, we can talk about that. I'm kind of curious how nervous you were going into that and and what maybe some of the risks were. If you have any questions for Bishop, feel free to text your question to the Holy Cross College text line 260-436-9598. And we will continue to talk about Bishop's trip to Nigeria, including the shocking number of priests that have been kidnapped recently as well. Coming up on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. What's the difference between Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and a bank? Well, banks are owned by investors looking to make a profit. Notre Dame FCU is different. We are a not-for-profit, member-owned cooperative. Our mission is to help our members improve their lives with products, services, and education. If we end up with too much money ourselves, we simply give it back to our members. Last year, over a million dollars. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with Bishop, who's been talking about his trip to Nigeria sounds like you had a lot of activities. You were very busy, a very faithful, energetic people over there and get to experience the culture. I know some people were nervous for you going over there, given some of the situation that's currently happening in Nigeria. There was an article from the Catholic News Agency saying that there's been a total of 20 Nigerian priests that have been kidnapped and three died since the beginning of 2022. So were you nervous going over? No. There was actually a, a Nigerian priest killed the week I was there. I was wow. was so sad. I didn't know about that until I came home. But no, I wasn't nervous. I knew the risk, mm-hmm. but I don't know why I wasn't nervous. You know, I was really focused not on my own safety. I was just excited to go and be with the people and express my gratitude for especially the priests that are on loan to our diocese. Mm-hmm. Were people trying to talk you out of going over there? Yeah, yeah. And the State Department, you know, really really tells Americans not to go. But, I mean, I'd already had to postpone it twice, Kyle, uh-huh. you know, because of COVID. I wasn't going to postpone it again, you know. What is happening over there 
why are why are priests being kidnapped? I mean, people well, in general. I think it's a yeah, bigger uh, problem than just the priests. Yeah, I'm not an expert, but I I have learned a lot. I think it's important to think about the the country as a whole and historically. This is one country that was really united by the British of, of two very different kinds of peoples and cultures and religions. Northern Nigeria is, you know, the Hausa tribe and Fulanese, and it's mostly Muslim and including some extremist Muslims, mm -hmm. militant Islam. And we're aware that for many years they have wreaked havoc. They've persecuted Christians in the north, including Boko Haram, terrorist group that mm -hmm. kidnapped all those girls from that school, you know, 200 and some, I don't know, is that 10 years ago or whatever. So there have been problems. But here we have a country which is divided ethnically by language and by religion and by culture kind of forced to be one country. The capital used to be in Lagos. Now it's kind of in the center, Abuja. And Abuja is, uh, is now the capital. We have a priest here from Abuja. But what has happened in, in more recent years is, is kind of an infiltration of some of these militants, the Fulanese, Fulanese into the South, doing kidnappings primarily, criminal activity, hiding out in the bush, and some of them are um, very anti-Christian and are kind of like ISIS type of people, you know. Hmm. I want to make a distinction. There are criminals who are just after money. Okay, that's that's one group that may not have this, this hatred towards Christians or whatever. But then there are the others who really are more ISIS kind and they have no hesitancy in killing people, especially priests. So they've started moving the last couple of years more into the South, hiding, making attacks, kidnapping priests or others, not just priests. We had the massacre of 41 innocent people on Pentecost Sunday while they were attending mass. Mm -hmm. That was in the South. Mm -hmm. Now that was in the Southwest. I was in the Southeast, but they are present in the Southeast. In the 11 days I was there, we were stopped on the roads probably about 50 times by military police looking for, you know, kind of checking things out if there are any criminals or whatever that they can find in the cars. That was kind of odd in the sense, I mean, I had experienced that when I was there four years ago and they have machine guns and they're looking and, you know, I, I kind of learned that you, you just can't always trust them though. They're, because some of them may be either sympathizers or somehow collaborating with the terrorists and could be radioing ahead. Oh mm -hmm. yeah, there's a, a white man here in this car that, you know, you know, they're looking for people with money yeah. or people who, I don't know. It's yeah. Because usually when they kidnap people, they hold them for ransom. Mm -hmm. So I was very aware of it because we were getting stopped all the time. So that's kind of, you know, and obviously we talked about it, the bishops mm -hmm. that I visited and all that, but they were very attentive for my safety. There was one incident where, and it was the day, the last day before I went back to Lagos, where we were on a road. The roads, by the way, are terrible. They're filled with potholes and Kind of dangerous driving. I could never drive there. I would yeah. have been in so many accidents. But Father Francis did a great job driving and the others who drove. We were on a road and uh, there were some local villagers kind of making motions to us to like turn. Don't, go, don't keep going on this road. 
And we found out that they were up ahead. Some of the these terrorists who were Fulanese had just kidnapped four people. Hmm. So, so we were really saved because we got that warning from yeah. the, the local people. That was the only time, but I felt, you know, the Lord was watching over us. There was one incident, another incident that was fine, but where I was staying near Oka, near Bishop Jonas's house, he had put me up in a, a local hotel, which was nice because it had showers and air conditioning. It wasn't elaborate, but it was when I was there four years ago, I didn't have those amenities. So I was always dirty and sweating and, and you know, having to wear the mosquito nets and at night and uh-huh. and not really having a, a decent shower. So this time it was more comfortable. And I mean, I wasn't there I, during the day. I was only there sleeping, but at least I could, you know, relax and not have to worry about the mosquitoes and uh-huh. everything. Well, anyhow, we were hardly there in, during the days. And one day, Father Francis, I encouraged him. We only had a few hours like free one afternoon, I think, or an evening because you know, really weren't hanging out there, but this, except for this one day, part of the day. So I said, go visit, spend the time with your family and all that. So he did. And I went out for a walk, like I usually did throughout the compound, but there was a Catholic church a couple blocks away that I had seen on the road when we were driving. And I thought, well, I'm just going to go out and make a visit. I'll walk. So I left the compound, walked along this road, went to the church, finished praying, went to, you know, buy a beverage at one of these poor little side road, but there's a lot of cars on the road. There's a lot of people around. And of course I had a lot of stairs. There's no other white person around. Mm-hmm. So that was probably like maybe two hours. And then I went back to the hotel. Well, that word spread and father <laughs> Francis, Bishop Jonas, the hotel, everyone, Bishop, do not do that. We uh-huh. don't want, you know, so they were very like a little upset with me, but I wasn't, again, you asked me at the beginning, was I afraid? No, yeah. but you know, I think that just shows that they know that there are these people. We have to pray yeah. for the people there. They're so good. And yet this violence mm-hmm. and terrorism and the pre- now being, you know, targeting more priests mm-hmm. and bishops in the church. I mean, I'm fear that it might get worse before it gets better. Mm-hmm. This really hit me having been there, how we need to help and build peace and reconciliation and and pray for the those who are at risk. I say I worry about getting worse. You know, there's also a lot of political division. Mm-hmm. The present president is really Fulanese himself, and he's Muslim. And some of the, the Catholics and the bishops don't feel the national government is doing enough to protect the people in the South. Mm-hmm. And there's corruption in the government. One of the things I learned is the election that's coming up this coming year is one of the candidates is a Catholic, very good, devout Catholic from the South. Actually, he was the governor of the state in which I was visiting, Anambra, and really good. He did a lot of good when he was governor, including he was the one responsible for returning all the schools to the Catholic Church. Well, I got to know quite well his brother, who is a priest, Father Fabian, and is the rector of the seminary in Onisha. Hmm. So getting to know him, I learned a lot about his brother and all of that. So I kind of think, well, maybe if his brother is elected president, that could improve things, at least the protection of the Christians in the South. But it's going to be very hard to be a united country where there is such 
a huge difference right. between North and South. Of course, there was already a civil war over this. The Igbo tribe, the South, where I was, you know, they wanted independence in, of the South back in the 60s. And that resulted in the Biafran War. Now, Biafra is the area where I was. That's South, I guess, mostly Southeast. I don't know if that includes Southwest, but South, at least Southeast Nigeria. You know, three million people died in that war. Hmm. Wow. In the late 60s, I remember I was in a grade school student at the time and how we saw all these images of Biafran children dying of starvation because they, you know, they went, the government, the Nigerian government wasn't even allowing food to get into the region. So they suffered so much from the Biafran War. And of course, they did not win independence. But no one wants another Biafran War. But I think the people still do long for independence. Mm -hmm. It'd be, there's some way I was thinking that the United Nations could step in. I mean, it's complicated because the oil is in the south and all these other things. I mean, I'm not an expert on Nigerian politics, but... You know, it's not an easy thing to resolve, but, um, you know, just the value of education. For example, in the North, girls don't can't go to schools. Mm. Uh, you know, there's Boko Haram is, you know, basically against Western education. Sure. And the on the local level in some parts of the North, they are using Sharia law. So these are things that we would not, you know, agree with in any way. And despite the persecutions... It sounds like there are a lot of vocations. I mean, if you're ordaining over 20 people every time you're there, I, are they having a lot of vocations? And then we're getting missionary priests coming from there. What do you think is the, the cause of that? Yeah, there are Nigerian priests and sisters all over the world now, mm-hmm. a lot in Europe, a lot in North America. <laughs> There's no vocation crisis in Nigeria. As a matter of fact, Bishop Jonas probably had like 100 boys applying to the seminary and it was only able to accept 10 so he could choose like the finest and i mean i i could have come back with uh sponsoring like 50 seminarians if i wanted because a lot of these boys young men really believe feel the call to the priesthood but yeah so they try for the diocese or a religious order over there like the spiritans but a lot you know they just can't educate that many they don't have the money or seminary to all the vocations they have there are three young men that though i'm i met with while i was there Uh that will probably be applying for our diocese okay and i was really impressed when i interviewed them the depth of their faith both their and their knowledge of the faith sometimes you know they have high school seminaries there Mm -hmm. and some of the bishops really will only accept candidates who've gone through their high school seminary. Oh, okay. So let's say a, a young man at the really didn't feel the call at age 13, sure. but felt it at age 17 or 18. Yeah. Well, he would have a very difficult time being accepted because they seem to prefer that they go through their whole system. Yeah. And one of the young men I met with 19 years old fits in that category. I mean, a very impressive young man. But the reason he wasn't accepted is he didn't go through the high school seminary. Huh. Kind of hard to imagine over here. Oh, I know. (laughs) Well, and then maybe like one last question about kind of the culture, food. What was your experience with? Oh, the food was good. I I enjoyed it. I like kind of the spicy sauces that they have. 
stews and sauces. And they, they really did. I mean, at, at the beginning, you know, they were giving me three full meals a day and, mm -hmm. you know, big breakfast, big lunch, big dinner. And I said, no, oh, no, I can't eat this much. I'm not used to that. But they were, again, that wonderful hospitality. But yeah. there'd be a lot of rice and different kinds of sauces that they put on the rice. There'd be chicken and beef and fish and beans and vegetables. I enjoyed everything. I ate pretty much everything except one thing. They had what's called stockfish. I don't know what it is, actually, uh -huh. uh, what kind of fish. I think it's like cod, liver. I don't know. But anyhow, it had a really just a smell that I really couldn't handle. And uh, I eat almost anything. And I was kind of being polite, and I started tried it, even though I didn't like the smell. I tried to ignore the smell and tried to eat it while I didn't like it. So I had to, and they were laughing. They saw that I couldn't, <laughs> that yeah. I just couldn't handle it. But for them, like that's something that they really like. Uh -huh. So that was that was a funny thing. But but no, I I'm fine with the food and. They were just so, again, generous with the food. As a matter of fact, they had a farewell dinner for me. And some of the boys from the that local high school that I visited, it's called Bubendorf, named after one of the Irish Spiritans, the missionaries who served in, in that place. A group came over to play music and dance at this farewell dinner that I that the priest had for me at Bishop Jonas's house, and it was outside. Uh -huh. So that was really neat. You know, it was just, and again, same kind of food and just that kind of joyful spirit of celebration. You definitely feel that. I mean, it kind of reminds me of the Latin Americans, that fiesta kind of. Yeah, there were a lot of other things I'm not including, but it was a wonderful experience for me. It was very invigorating. I love to go back. Bishop Jonas wants me to come back when they dedicate their new cathedral in Newey. Because if you notice in the photos, the ordination navy was outside because the cathedral's under construction. Oh, okay. So I did send a donation to help them with that. You know, the dollar goes much further over there in mm. costs of construction that than it would here. And kind of a show of our solidarity mm. with the church there and in Africa and kind of our gratitude for them loaning us priests. Sure. So many we have here in our diocese serving in parishes and and in chaplaincies, and some Nigerians, priests studying at Notre Dame who help out in our parishes on the South Bend side of the diocese. We are really blessed. So it was it was good to, to kind of express our gratitude in person. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you got to that opportunity, and I'm glad you made it back safely and were able to share your exciting journey with us. And if people want to see and, and read more about it, you can check out todayscatholic.org. There are a lot of photos there and, and articles. So check that out, todayscatholic.org. And before we go, could we get your Episcopal blessing? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit SpokeStreet.com.